Romans chapter 6, look with me to verse 15. We're going to read 15 through 23. And I want you to give me a big hearty amen if you found it. Amen. Amen. You have it? Young lady? (laughs) She said, don't pick on me, Pastor. Don't you dare do it. Don't you dare do it. I know know where you live. Romans 6, 15 through 23. Let's begin. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawless, lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, I pray that you speak to us today. Speak to us clearly through your word. I pray that you give me the wisdom, Lord God, to convey here publicly what you've given to me in secret. Father, we are thankful for your voice. We are thankful for your word. Because it is the means by which you transform our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you, Lord. I think we've been going through the book of Romans for a few months now. And I think the, the purpose, God's purpose with the book of Romans has always been to provide clarity. I want you to hear this clearly. The purpose of Romans from God's perspective has always been to provide clarity concerning the doctrine of salvation and its personal application in our lives. When you consider the whole of the book of Romans, you you walk away with this strong impression concerning the topic, the subject of salvation. Everything we need to know this side of heaven concerning salvation is revealed in the pages of this one particular book. And so far, we've talked about many fundamental truths concerning this book. Things like justification and sanctification and and so many other doctrines like that. Today's title is, if you're taking notes, if you're writing down anything, is called to holiness. Called to holiness. This This is one of those topics that, as Christians, we don't generally like to frequent, generally like to entertain... Because it sort of presents a demand upon our lives. At least that's how we interpret subjects just like this one. And yet this is the subject that we're going to 
find ourselves dealing with in Romans chapter 6 is the subject of how you and I carry out life in our physical bodies. So call to holiness is intended to generate an appreciation for the life God wants us to live in the body. In other words, that it matters what we do with our bodies. I don't know about you, but I used to used to belong to a church. It was a very liberal church. And this is not about church bashing, right? I'm not going to go there. But I want to generalize something so that you know what I'm talking about, at least thus far. I used to belong to a church that was really liberal. And it, the, the church indirectly or in essence used to make statements like, Christianity is an internal experience. Therefore, we don't have to place any emphasis on the physical body whatsoever. It doesn't matter how you live in the physical body because as Christians, we are not condemned according to the law. We have this justification and therefore we can live life however we want to live our lives. And so in those churches like that, that actually believe that, you see this excessiveness with tattooing and, and smoking and drinking and partying on and sexual immorality. All those things are pervasive, if you will, in churches like that. And you wonder where they get their doctrine from because it is not found in the pages of the Word of God. So Paul's point here is how we carry on with life in our bodies. Listen has everything to do with Christianity. How many know that? How we live our lives in a body has everything to do with Christianity. Just as a good tree is distinguished from a bad tree by the fruit it produces, so is a Christian distinguished from a non-believer by the way he lives his life in the body. And I want you to listen out for that theme as we go through these verses one by one. Listen out for that theme. That theme of sanctification and how we live life in our bodies. Look with me to verse 15. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And Paul the Apostle right away, he says, by no means. He says, absolutely not. In other words, God forbid. Now, I want to make a note here right away that may not necessarily stick out to you right away. And I don't want to move on without making this point first. But I want you to first look at verse 1. Yes, verse 1. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And I want you to read it for yourself. I want you to take five seconds. Chapter 6, verse 1. And I want you to read that to yourself. And I want you to note the verb sin in that verse. Note the, the verb sin in that verse. In that one particular verse alone... The verb sin is talking about practicing it, actually living it out. It's kind of like a reference to an unbeliever who is, not, uh, who is not saved and not a Christian. That person is actively practicing sin, right? And Paul the Apostle there says, God forbid, by no means. But I want you to know, come back with me to verse 15. Because the verb sin is also in this verse. But it's in the... Forgive me because I have trouble pronouncing this word. It's about grammatical, literary. I like to study those things because I want to know, right? So I like to look into the English. It is, by the way, an English Bible. Uh, 
professors refer to the word as aorist. A-O-R-I-S-T. Aorist subjunctive mode. Aorist subjunctive mode. And what's that saying? What is that saying? It's simply saying that the verb sin in verse 15 is in the singular. In other words, that it's not talking about practicing sin. The imaginary opponent to whom Paul the Apostle is responding to in that verse. You notice there are questions there, right? So this imaginary opponent to whom Paul is responding is saying the individual is believing that somehow just because you and I have been declared righteous, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, we have the righteousness of Christ upon us, that from time to time it is okay to occasionally dabble in sin. That's what the opponent is thinking. And so Paul raises these questions to give quick answer to so that he can, so that he can, you know, like pump the brakes or denounce or dismiss that, that idea from the mind of any believer. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that just because we are declared righteous, that we've been justified, that we do have the liberty or the right to do in our bodies from time to time whatever it is we choose to do. And I want to give you some substance to this, a, a, a testimony. When I was in, in college, right? <laughs> you see that finger here, right? Stay in your lane, Ed. Stay in your lane. As I was saying, when I was in college, I had a very good friend of mine, very personal friend. I'm not, I'm not going to give you his name. Very good friend of mine. And I used to admire this guy, right? I want to do this quickly. I admired this guy because he spent a lot of time on his knees praying. He was always studying and reading the Word of God. And in fact, whenever I would go into his cubicle, see, we were model inmates. So we weren't in cells. We were in cubicles, right? So this guy was always on his knees and he was always studying. His Bible was like Angie's, you know, rainbow colors on the inside, in and out, right? Because he was highlighting it all the time. But listen to this. And I admired this guy and I looked up to him. So I was, I was considering him, observing, and I saw Christ in him. So I was trying to copy. I was trying. He was leading by example. And it was wonderful because I had just given my life to Jesus. And I needed some accountability like that, right? But one day he was approved for pre-release and he shocked me with a statement that blew, blew my mind away. It sent shivers up my spine. We were talking about marriage. We were talking about girlfriends and fiancés and that sort of thing. And we were talking about that he was saying that he wanted to go out. He wanted to find a wife because he didn't want to be alone. Right. And he was telling me what he was going to do in that process of finding a wife. He believed I haven't lost sight of the text. Right. He believed that as a justified believer that he had the right. That's the operative term here that he had the right to entertain sin from time to time. So therefore, concerning this topic of marriage, he says, well, Rick, this is what my plan is in finding a wife. I'm going to lay with women until I find the one that pleases me, that satisfies me the most. And I tried to argue. He said, no, stop. I don't want to hear it. That's not open for conversation. He kind of, he said, that's just what I believe. He said adamantly, he says, I'm not going to live the rest of my life with somebody who doesn't satisfy me. Referring to the, I'm like, I'm like, that's just crazy. And yet, it's common. 
in the body of Christ. Not, not here. N- not here. The, the church down the street, right? It, it, <laughs> excuse me, bird lady. Excuse me. Linda, this is my sermon, okay? You'd be surprised how common it is for believers in the body of Christ around the world to believe that because we are justified that we can, in fact, dabble with sin from time to time. Again, the theme is how we live out our faith in our bodies. Does it matter how we live life in a body as a Christian? Absolutely. My Christianity is not just simply determined by an internal experience. My body is involved in that process. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that we are comprised of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, it's in the imperative mode. You see that? There's a phrase like that again. It's in the imperative mode. So it's a command for you and I to yield our lives over to God because we belong to Him. Why? Because He purchased us by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's move on. So I don't know what the percentages are, um, but the better part of Christendom today actually subscribes to a liberal gospel. That places very little emphasis on how we live our lives in the body. And that's not good. I had a pastor once who, who came to service with a different tattoo on a regular basis. I just don't know how you can do that. You know, a- anyway. I'm not talking about tattoos. I'm talking about a practice. A liberty. The point is... How we carry on with life in our bodies is, has everything to do with Christianity. Um, so last week, I mentioned this already. I'm going to do it again briefly. Last Sunday, last Sunday we highlight, highlighted two major points from our text. I said it. I'll say it again. We are dead to sin in principle number one, which is the doctrine of justification. It's important to say that. And don't be mad at me if I circle around to that. On a regular basis, because I'm going to do it throughout the book of Romans, because it's important for you and I to remember what our position is in Christ Jesus. We're dead to sin in principle. That's our position. I'm, I'm, I'm declared righteous. I'm a son of the living God. I'm a son of the almighty God. That's number one. And number two, last Sunday, that we are dead to sin in practice. What's that saying? That's the doctrine of sanctification. In other words, I have this freedom now because of this deliverance by God in Christ Jesus. I have this freedom to live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once upon a time, I was a slave to sin. How about you? Once upon a time, we were slaves to sin and we did not have the freedom, the moral freedom to do the right thing. Perhaps from time to time we knew what the right thing was, but we couldn't leave it, live it out because of the bondage to sin. And Paul talks about that here in this particular passage. Let's move on. Verse 16. Go with me to verse 16. Then I'm going to give you a quote. I'm going to come back to a portion of verse 15. Now, you know what? I'm going to do that first. I'm going to do that first. 
I'm going to read a quote to you that's going to, it's going to give you, give us context concerning uh, a little bit about what Paul said in verse 15. The quote is from Arthur S. Way. And he writes, The law is uncompromising, but grace is never lenient. The law is uncompromising, because we know that if you were guilty of violating the law at any point, that you were guilty of violating it all. There's no compromise to the law. You violated it, it was a done deal. So the, we in the church, we had the tendency of saying that the, well, the law was uncompromising. We understand that, but grace is lenient. In other words, the grace gives me the liberty. It gives me freedom to do. And that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. The law is uncompromising, but grace is never lenient. It is far stricter than the law ever could be. Grace coupled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes notice of the slightest sin and convicts us of it. The law could only act generally and then only when the conscience of the individual cooperated with it. Grace not only forgives, grace teaches. And so the idea that we are justified in sinning occasionally is not scripture, which is the reason why Paul concluded that one verse by saying, God forbid. God Forbid that you and I live life believing that we can live that way. Verse 16. It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. So it's interesting interesting the way Paul handles this. What he does is he formulates a firm response And he wraps it around a question of his own. The imaginary opponent is trying to, is trying to justify this occasional sin from time to time. And Paul slams the door shut and he says, do you not know? The paraphrase is, you should know this. You do not need this letter from me to convince you of what happens when we give ourselves over to something. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. And he uses the analogy or the metaphor, however you want to look at that, of a slave. If I yield myself to the body, to the flesh, then somehow, some way, there's going to be an entanglement. If I yield myself to the spirit, to the things that pertain to God, there's also going to be a conditioning effect in my life. It's why I'm living my life today the way that I am. Right? I'm, I know the Word of God. I, I've given my heart over to God. My, my heart longs for the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture has set me free. And as a result, I point my feet, metaphorically speaking, in the direction of fulfilling the things that pertain to God. And as a result, today, today I have this, just everything about me that wants to move in that direction. And whenever I entertain, even in the slightest bit, anything having to do with the flesh or the things of this world, the Holy Spirit convicts me of those things immediately. Grace is never lenient. It's easier to live life as an unbeliever than it is to live the life of a believer. Right? Because grace is never lenient. God is always there. If you are a child of God and you know Jesus... 
then you better believe there's a reason why you are prompted the way that you do from time to time. There's a reason why you have those longings within you the way that there's a reason why you're sitting in that chair today. And it's not because you're going through the motions of religion, because somehow society says it's it's your place to be here. That's not why you're here. You're certainly not here to see me. You're certainly not here to put money in a bag. You're here because you know this is your place, because this is the house of God. Amen, somebody. Because this is the house of God, and somehow there's this burden on the inside of you that's compelling you to do these things. That's how grace operates. It's never lenient. It's compelling in many ways. And it actually serves as an incentive, as an incentive to do the right thing. God is always there. God is always watching. He's always ministering to us. And it's a glorious thing. I want to define a word for you here so that you get what I'm saying. The Greek word in this one particular verse for slaves, look at verse 16 again if you need to remember where we are. He says, he says, do not, he said, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, he's using another analogy. Now I'm going to give you all the verses in a little bit about where Paul, where Paul the apostle uses analogies. But the word slaves in that, in that verse in the Greek is doulos. At least I think that's how the word is pronounced. It's doulos. And it refers to the lowest state or condition of a slave. It's not just a general word for slaves. It's the lowest state or condition of a slave, which is not so good. In other words, here's a paraphrase. You should know, this is Paul talking to the, to the, to the Roman audience. He says, you should know that you will allow yourself to be entrapped by the immoral, compromising slavery of your sinful passions if you surrender to the flesh. But you will gloriously triumph if you commit yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit in obedience. He says, you should know this. He says, you should know this. In other words, whatever we surrender ourselves to, we somehow become enslaved to those things. And as a, the third point in this verse, the application is this. As believers, we need to make up our minds about whom we will serve. Paul the Apostle is talking about talking to a group of people who are thinking, well, I'm justified, so I think I can do this and get away with it. And Paul says, no, you need to be moving in this direction because of grace, because of the truth of the word of God, because of what God expects from us. He says we need to be moving in this one particular direction. So for you and I today, we need to make up our minds. That's the reason why I think, I believe, I was emphasizing repentance last week as I did. Because repentance, I think, is the missing component in Christianity today. Today in our churches, we invite people to come forward and to pray prayers with us no matter where we go. Just simply pray a prayer with us and somehow we declare them to be saved and justified and they continue living like devils. Why? Because the missing component is repentance. They never repented. They just followed our lead. Okay, you want me to go up front? I'll go up front. How many know what I'm talking about? They follow our lead. We finesse them. We make them feel good with our music, with our hugs, and especially mine, right? And, and, and somehow they leave believing that they know Jesus. And yet no repentance took place 
in their lives. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6.24. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6.24. You cannot serve two masters. You got to give yourself over to one and denounce the other. You got to make up your mind. You need to serve me. Forget about this idea of occasional sin from time to time. Make up your mind and serve me. The reference is to honest repentance. And God, in effect, is asking us to stand up. I love the Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Isaiah says in this amazing voice, I can, I can just hear it in my, in my mind's eye, right? In my ears. He says, arise and shine, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise and shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Has risen upon us. That's a beautiful picture of salvation and what we experience fundamentally when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We come to life, to real, real, real life. Amen, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. Verses 17 and 18. It says, but thanks be to God that you who were once, in the past tense, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, I like the way Paul the Apostle begins this, these two particular verses. He, he, he begins with an express gratitude to those who have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ for their salvation. And he says, look at the first verse. He says, but thanks, thank be to God. Or thanks, I don't know if I dropped the S in my type. He says, but thanks be to God. And I want to make a very quick application here because I believe it's important to make a note here. Just from those, that, that gratitude from his heart. But thank be to God. Is it insignificant? Is it meaningless? Nothing is insignificant when it comes to the word of God. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired these particular words in this text. The application as believers is that we should always be grateful to God for drawing souls to himself. And in addition to this, we should always desire that he would use us as individuals to reach souls for the kingdom of heaven. I think that's extremely important. I think it's the reason why principles like that. It's the reason why Paul the Apostle ventured out every single day to do ministry. He was left for dead how many times? I think at least twice he was left to dead. Hungry and starving and this shipwrecked and, and all these experiences that Paul the Apostle experienced. Not just him, but the others. The other apostles who were martyred and the other Christians who were martyred for the faith. It's because of that gratitude like that, this, the significance, the importance of salvation, the appreciation for it, and then showing it when somebody comes to Jesus Christ and supporting those individuals. Because that's what Paul's doing here. He says, but thanks be to God. And he's referring to his Roman audience that came to Christ. How are you and I carrying out that simple, right? If I can use that term, simple responsibility to those, toward those we know have given themselves over to Jesus. The second point here in that verse is that he presents a statement of fact concerning 
his Roman audience. Look at verse 17. It says, you who were once slaves of sin. You who were once slaves of sin. I, does it say of or to? Slaves to sin. What does it say? It does say of in the text? Okay. I thought I typed it wrong. Okay. You who were once slaves of sin. So my response here is twofold. Number one, the simple, simple fact that they were no longer slaves to sin because of the word of God. They were no longer slaves to sin. That's huge. I'm not going to go too much into that because we've been talking about that the whole time we've been going through Romans. But it's important to point it out because Paul did so again. Just think about what the word of God does to you. What it did to you and I. To me in 1989, somebody preached the word of God to me. It entered my ears and it convicted me down to the marrow of my bone, to the depths of my experience. And I knew, I didn't make the decision right away, but I knew a decision had to be made for Jesus Christ. I knew I was a heathen, huh? A dirty, rotten heathen. Like Ronald Muir. A dirty, rotten, just from hearing the word of God. And I was trembling. Not a day went by that I had peace in my life. I knew I had to make a decision until one day I went to a, a chapel service and I said yes to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So not only, this is the second part of that point, not only had they been set free from sin through the word of God, but they had become slaves to righteousness. Look at verse 17 again, or verse 18 rather. The end of verse 18, you need to see this. They now, be, now they're free, and Paul states that they had become slaves to righteousness. The meaning is this. The sanctification commits us to God. How many of you remember a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, when I shared from Colossians chapter 1? Sanctification means a separation from sin unto God. So when you gave your heart, when you gave your soul to Jesus Christ, you experienced a separation. In other words, He pulled you out of the world and translated you into the kingdom of God here on earth. That's glorious. And it's not in a limited form. No, 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 no. It's in an absolute. I'm no longer a part of the kingdom of the devil in this world. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how you perceive me, whether I got these flaws or those flaws. I'm flawed, right? So let me just tell you right off the bat, right? So don't be surprised one day, whatever, right? I am flawed, but I know Jesus and I love him. And as a result, I've been translated. I'm no longer the devil's property. I'm property of God. How about you? Let me see your hand. Let me see if you're property of God. Amen. Property. We are property of God. And that's important to know. So sanctification means that we are, we've been translated to heaven while still living in the world. I think that's the reason why somebody says we're pilgrims. pilgrims right? We're just journeying. I'm, I'm in this world, but not of it. I'm just traveling through, baby. Get out of my way because I'm going to run you over. Is the reason why we are able to persevere sanctification. Is the reason why we can live the way that we live. We're not perfect, but it's the reason why we highlight these, these, these truths from the Word of God and we do everything we can to actually live it out. It's because of sanctification. Why we daily experience a heavenly, a heavenly nudge, a heavenly compelling, right? And why we have the longings that we do. 
The third point from that verse, I want you to see this. Look at verse 17 again. It's talking about the standard of teaching. He said they were sanctified, they were free from sin, they were no longer in bondage to sin. Why? Because of the standard of teaching that they were hearing from the apostles, from the Christians who lived back then. The standard of teaching. And obviously, right, we know you and I, right, we're, we're churched. So we know that the standard of teaching is referring to the gospel message, right? That, that, that serves to change their lives. But I think it's important to note this here because society has a way of telling us of trying to convince us that there is no God, number one, and that therefore we don't have to give an account. There is no future account and that we don't have to yield our lives over to any gospel or any Bible truth. That the Bible is, has been invalidated by the notion that there is no God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? So the standard of teaching is the truth of the gospel. And I think, at least in my life, and I know it looking across this church into your lives, I know that the Bible, to be true, has been proven in our lives. The fact that we've been changed. The fact that we've been transformed. How many of you are no longer the same person you used to be? Let me see. Don't be afraid. Let me see your hand. You're no longer the same person you used to be because of the fundamental truth of the Word of God. It, it, it transforms the human experience. Not only the Word of God sets us free, by the way, that's John 8.32, if you're writing down, where Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Bible also says that the Bible, that the truth also makes us wise. That's 2 Timothy 3.15. And not only the Word of God, can, not only that, but the Word of God actually cleanses us as well. That's John 17. 17. Jesus was praying to the Father long ago. And he says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, so the point there is that the word of God possesses power. They were listening to the word of God, the Roman audience, and the word of God transformed their lives. But here's another point that we need to make here that we cannot overlook. And it's the reality concerning the truth of the Word of God as God has revealed it to us. I'm talking about sound doctrine here. What becomes of you and I if we tamper, if we fundamentally tamper with the Word of God? What, what happens? We make the Word of God of none effect. It's the reason why there are a lot of false religions in the world today. Because someone somewhere, at some place, tampered with the Word of God. Fundamentally. For example, what happens if, we, if you remove Jesus Christ from the gospel? There's no gospel, right? What happens if you deny the physical resurrection? What happens if you deny his physical sacrifice and the shedding of blood? Let's say he was killed by hanging and he never shed any blood. There's no gospel. What happens if there's no physical resurrection? There is no gospel. What happens if we deny the fact that he sent, ascended to heaven in physical form and that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father? What happens if we remove that from the gospel? There is no gospel. There is no salvation. So it, it, you see where I'm going with that, right? It's inferred from the text, but you got it, you, it, it's important. It's there nonetheless. 
the Roman audience, Paul's Roman audience, they were saved because they responded to the unadulterated word of the living God. And you and I have to make ourselves sensitive to the truth of Scripture as it is revealed. You and I, we don't get to pick what's good and what's bad. We don't get to lay things aside because we don't like the demand it places upon our lives. The Word of God is the Word of God. And when you know it, it'll transform your life. And if you share it accordingly, it'll transform somebody else's life. Amen? It's there. I think it's there. I think it's there in the text. Thank you, Lord. Verse 19. I got to run along. I got to run along. So you forgive me if I slice and dice here. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity... And to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. He begins this verse by referring to the analogies and metaphors that he used on them for the purpose of their understanding. So the paraphrase would be this. I did that because of your natural limitations. But what was he referring to? Go back to verse 12. I want you to see this. Analogies and metaphors. It says, let not sin reign, reign in your mortal body. What he's doing there is that he's borrowing from the authority of kings. Verse 13, look at verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness. The Greek word for instruments is hopla, hopla. And it's referring to the weapons of war. So what's Paul saying here? He's borrowing from Greek Military warfare when he uses the word instruments. In other words, he's saying when you consider your members in your body, don't yield your members as weapons of war to do the wrong thing. But yield your members as weapons of war to do the right thing. Why? Why is that the case? Because we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. So those are analogies and metaphors. There's one more. Verse 16. It says, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves. And now he's borrowing from this concept of bondage or servitude or or slavery. But the worst kind of slavery, the base kind of slavery. And he's using those images because they would not have understood the gospel message otherwise. And there are two applications, applications that I want to make to this quickly. Number one, and it's in the indicative mode, and is that God draws us to himself from one level of development to the next without overburdening us. Take note of the way Paul the Apostle dealt with his audience. He knew, he gauged, he discerned where they were spiritually, and he dealt with them accordingly. He didn't just bombard them with all these terms and all this stuff to confuse them. No, he was working with them. And I think it's important to know how God deals with you and I as well. How many loving fathers exist here today, this morning? Because you're a loving father, you deal with your children accordingly, right? How many loving mothers are here today? They love, you love your children. Do you, do you aimlessly and without need spank your children? I mean, Robin might. Robin might, but I think she's, she's saying yes, yes, yes. That, that's me. 
She deserves it. She deserves it. Right? But as loving parents, we treat our children delicately and carefully. Right? Because we know that they don't know any better. Right? Even though sometimes you want to... Sometimes my mother used to pull my ears. I think that's the reason why they're so far away from my head. Maybe. She used to... That's a true story. I don't know if that's the reason why they're flappy like that, but she used to pull my ears. The point is that God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. And He works with us. He doesn't look to overburden us. Don't worry about my language and this, this command that I seem to be imposing upon you from time to time when I share the word. It's just, it's my passion. It's my job to give you the truth, Right? But in no way am I ever intending to make you feel some type of way by the way that I deliver it. I just want to be faithful to God and share his unadulterated word. And so God works with us. That's the first point. And then the second, or by the way, let me give you a verse if you're writing down. Luke chapter 22, 31 and 32. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see how God, Jesus was dealing with Jesus? He was caring for him. He knew what was going to happen in advance. He says, I got you. I'm praying for you. Satan wants you, but I've rebuked that. And I'm going to destroy him at the cross. I'm going to give you power like you've never experienced it before. And when you restore, once you're back in the fold, I want you to go ahead and take care of your brothers. I want you to lead this thing. I want you to do what I'm calling you to do, the assignment that I've given to you. And God handles us in that way. But there's an imperative mode, however, in that text as well. And it's, there's a firm call to faithfulness being made in this verse. Look at verse 19. It says, so now, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's sort of like a command. That's what I mean by in the imperative mode. It says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. In other words, I need you to aim for the mark. I need you to hit the target. Sin has been defined as missing the mark. And so I use that by stating that we need to hit the mark. We need to aim to hit the mark in terms of the things that pertain to God in our lives. 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul the Apostle says, Study to show yourself approved. You need to work at it. And in Colossians or in Ephesians or in Philippians, one of those letters, these books are bouncing around in my head. Paul the Apostle says, I need you to mind your own business. Just like that. He says, I need you to mind your own business. I need you to tend to your own responsibilities and stop worrying about the things that you see happening on the other side over there. He says, mind your own business. Work with your hands. Do that which is right and honorable in the sight of God. So those, that's in the imperative mode. There's a command the word of God places upon our lives. To do the right thing is not going to happen automatically. Amen. But I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know that you are faithful, beautiful people better than me. Right? That's why I hold myself accountable to some of you the way that I do. Because I know my place. Romans, 2 Corinthians 6.17. It says, come out from among them 
and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from among them and be ye separate. That's also in the imperative. It's a command. It's instruction. You want to honor me, you need to do some of these things. Not to be saved, but because we are. Right? That's the distinction there. Romans 12, 1 and 2 encourages us to sacrifice ourselves to him. And to make every effort to allow our minds to be transformed by the word of God. Verses 20 and 21. Romans 6, 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. These verses have to be understood in view of the final part of verse 19. So look at verse 19 again. The final part of verse 19. It says, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Leading to sanctification. And I want to share three points here really quickly. And the first one is a paraphrase. In other words, Paul is saying, you couldn't live right before because you were slaves to sin. Now that you are free, you need to take advantage of it. Now that you are free... You need to take advantage of it. Um, And in support of that, in verse 20, look at verse 20. Paul the Apostle, he alludes to the idea of bondage to sin. And the implication is that sin has the capacity to enslave us until the ultimate consequence is realized. And that's why the verse says, for the end of those things is death. For the individual who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you give yourself over to the activity of practicing sin, the end result is going to be death. Oftentimes, physical death immediately, but not all the times. Ultimately, yes, a physical death. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. That's what happened with the people who've come, who've come in this life before you and I. But the word death is referring to damnation. Those who, those who are not in Christ, who are practicing sin, the end result is going to be damnation. But his use of the phrase, look at the, look at, um, look at the, the phrase where it says, we're slaves. His use of the word, we're slaves of sin, it denotes past tense, right? And the implication is that they were now free from it. That they were now free from it. How many, how many in here are, are in Christ? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. I know this is redundant, right? But I got to keep your blood flow, right? So you don't fall asleep on me. It's intentional, right? Those of us who are in Christ have been set free from sin. You've been set free from sin. Should I say it one more time? You have been set free from sin. I, I could keep saying that too. And I love saying that, right? Because I'm... It's just... Something about salvation. Remember, see, I was, I was in the gutter and then some. I, 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 I didn't grow up with a silver spoon. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know about Jesus all my life. I experienced sin down to the umpteenth level. To where I nearly lost my life on so many different occasions. I got battle wounds. To prove it. So when you talk to me about being dead to sin, I'm all in. Tell me more, Jesus. That I never grow tired of hearing that. Never. And it's the reason why I have the passion that I do. Because he saved my soul. How about you? 
Your sins, how many of you know that your sins were just as significant as mine? Right? We don't, we don't have this. We don't have little sins and big sins and black sins and white sins. No, that don't, that don't exist. Sin is sin. You were by nature a sinner. Well, we are by nature sinners. But when we were grafted in to Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. The second point is here is that Paul placates to them by suggesting they remember the misery of their past sins. And it's like he's essentially saying to them, aren't you ashamed of even thinking about those things now? How many of you think about your sins from time to time in the past? And yeah, why in the world did I do that? I, I do that all the time. I do that all the time. Sometimes I leave here, I'm like, why in the world did I say that? Why in the world did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. Right? It just happens, right? We got this nature that... But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for deliverance. Let me skip. Verse 22. Look at 22. I'm almost done, Don. I'm almost done. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And its end, eternal life. Because I'm dissecting here, one of the things that I'm going to tell you right off the bat is that salvation, eternity, this eternity is not a future episode. It's not a future experience. It is something that we have in Christ Jesus now, today, right now. In the here and now. Yes, we're still in the body, lugging around this, this dead carcass, right? That wants to lure us in the wrong directions to do all the wrong things. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that salvation, we have salvation already. My eternity, I got it already, baby. It's, it's, I'm living it out already. I don't have to wait till later. It's just going to be fulfilled in a greater way much later when this, as Paul the Apostle says it, when this corruption takes on incorruption, when this mortality takes on immortality, right? I'm going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Those of us, anyway, I would love to run away with that, but I, but I got to behave. I don't want to get Pentecostal on you. Send me packing. <laughs> um, okay. Last verse. I skipped the whole, whole page. Last verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like this. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, what Paul does here is that he takes his two major themes... Um, the ones that he presents throughout the entire book of Romans, and he basically contrasts them all in one verse. Number one, the reality of sin. Sin is a reality, and it always results in death. And number two, that God is offering mankind salvation through Jesus Christ. The, the paraphrase would be as such. The end result of sin is damnation, but grace in Christ provides eternal life. In glory. The first point I want to share with you really quickly, I want you to consider, is that the verse teaches that damnation, I don't want to overlook this, the verse teaches that damnation is earned. Damnation is earned. And it's the reason why Paul the Apostle uses the word wages. In the same way that you go to work every single day and you earn a salary, a paycheck at the end of the week, you've earned that paycheck. They can't keep that from you. Is earned wage. 
Paul the Apostle uses that term. He says the wages of sin is death. He's referring to damnation. Anybody who ends up in hell, those who have ended up in hell, I'm sorry, they've earned that. It's an earned wage. Sin lived out always produces death. And death is always earned. The second point, I touched on it already briefly, is that grace in Christ consists of eternal life with God. It's not something we're going to experience later. It consists of eternal life right now. You take my life away from here, from me rather, I'm going up to glory. The distinction is that Christ, that in Christ the wages of condemnation, or rather the wage of condemnation has been canceled and a gift has been given. It is not earned, but received on the merits of another. It is purely gratuitous. The idea is that we, are all, that we already have eternal life. And I want to close with a, clo- with a quote from John Murray. Listen to this. He writes, quote, The thought is not that the free grace of God issues in eternal life for us, though this in itself is true. But the precise thought is that the free gift consists in eternal life. When wages are in operation, our lot is death, inescapably, and in its ultimate expression. When the free gift of God through grace is in operation, our lot is life, eternal and indestructible. Stand with me. Let us pray. And if we have the worship team, can we just do a part of that verse? Come forward, worship team. Not the whole thing. Just, just, just a piece of it. A piece of it. That is it. I want you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. And I want you to think about the words that God has conveyed to you in this one particular passage. Think about the words. What is the theme? Or rather, the title is A Call to Holiness. That's the title. But the theme has to do with how you and I... Live out our Christian lives in the body. How do you handle your body? I want you to go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to hear me. Or rather, I want you to hear the Lord in your spirit. How are you as a believer supposed to handle yourself while living your physical life? While living in the body? It matters to Christianity. It matters how you carry yourself in your body. It matters when you get up and when you go to sleep. It matters what you put in your body. It matters whether you're laying with somebody or not. It matters how you handle life in the body. Father, I thank you so much for these words today. I thank you so much, Lord God, for sharing your word with us today. Father, may you impregnate us with the truth, with your inspiration, with your revelation, Lord God, so that we can live today and for the rest of our lives faithful and honorable lives before you. Father, we love you and we commit ourselves over to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Really quickly. Hey.
so much. Thank you so much, Father God, for the truth in that song. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, this side of heaven. Thank you so much for fulfilling us, for blessing us, for strengthening us, for completing us in Christ Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we magnify your holy name. May you bless us, Father God, as we go our separate ways. May you bless our meeting immediately after this service, Father. Our quarterly business meeting. Um, may you bless us with the wisdom that we need uh, for that space, for that meeting. May you bless us as we go to work this week and the rest of the things that we get ourselves into. We thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We do have a quarterly meeting at this time. And also on Wednesdays, we have a good meal. There's a potluck this coming Wednesday. Um, so those of you who attend and those of you who want to be a part of it, please bring something to eat. Amen.